For while you're still standing, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 20, uh, verse 19, as we continue our study in the gospel of Luke. Uh, You might know there's 24 chapters in Luke, and by God's grace, we're uh, making progress here in this wonderful book. Uh, From here on out, we're sort of in Holy Week, uh, Jesus' last week leading up to his death and then resurrection. But we are looking at Luke chapter 20, verse 19, and we'll pick up where we uh, left last week. Would you hear then God's word as it's read to you? The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something that he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth, and we pray that you would shape us by it this morning. Sanctify your people, make us holy, and make us more like Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A false dichotomy. A false dichotomy is a logical fallacy that gets used often. Here's the technical definition. A false dichotomy or a false dilemma is a logical fallacy in which a spectrum of possible options is misrepresented as an either-or choice between two mutually exclusive things. Now, whether you knew that definition, you know a false dichotomy when you hear one. For instance, um, oh, you don't want to eat your vegetables. Oh, so you mean that you don't like your mother's cooking. Those are the only two options, right? Oh, you don't drive a Tesla. That must mean you hate planet Earth. (laughs) But do you see the dichotomy placed? One author comically puts it this way. A false dichotomy is when you say that there are only two choices when there are actually more. For instance, you might say that someone is either alive or they're dead, ignoring the fact that they might be Dracula. Or you might say uh, that if someone's not a Democrat, that they must be some sort of Republican, ignoring the very real possibility that they, they could be Dracula. In our text today, Jesus deals with a false dichotomy. Uh, the religious leaders of the time are trying to trap him in his words. Good plan. And they come up to Jesus and they lay before him a false dichotomy. And we're going to look at that. But what we see is Jesus is, doesn't play their games. Uh, Jesus isn't simply taking a side in whatever debate that they're bringing before him. Uh, but as the true prophet, as the true teacher, as the one who is wiser than Solomon, he thwarts their plan and in so doing offers us a teaching that should challenge us. 
as much as it challenged the opponents. Because Jesus not only thwarts their plan, but he teaches us something critical about our posture, our relationship, what it means to live as citizens of heaven and yet citizens of this country in this time, in a time such as this. So I pray that you would have ears open to hear uh, what Christ has to say this morning. Uh, let's look then uh, at the text. You'll see the main point then is render to Caesar, surrender to God. And indeed, Jesus is going to talk about, and we're going to look at other biblical texts that speak about, uh, biblically, uh, certain obligations that we have toward the state, toward the government. So buckle up. 2020 wasn't that long ago. Um, I know that I know that verse 25, um, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Is that anyone's life verse? Just roll up your sleeve if it's tattooed right here. <laughs> You're like, that's it, man. That's what I live by. Um, so, so buckle up. Uh, God's word is good because it challenges us. It doesn't just say the things that we already think. Uh, but it's not the end of the story. Render to Caesar, but surrender to God. We're going to see the key difference between the two. And so uh, let's dive in. Uh, look at verse 19 uh, under the first point, render to Caesar. Uh, we see these scribes and chief priests, uh, they have a plot. Uh, Jesus has just um, uh, thwarted them, it told a parable against them. They were at least wise enough to know, wow, he's telling this parable against us. And so they proceed to live out exactly what he said they would do. And they're seeking to really destroy Jesus, but at least get him out of the way. They want to deliver him up to the authority, the Roman authorities. Uh, That's their plot. That's what they want to see happen. But they have a problem. If you look in verse 19 toward the end, you know, they, they have their own angst, they have their own plan, but they fear the people. They fear the people. Here are these chief priests, teachers, who, if they really believed that Jesus was a false teacher, their job was to take care of that swiftly, according to God's word, if they really believe that. Um, but they look at the people who love Jesus. They look at the people who are hanging on his every word. And instead of being the leaders that they think they are, they, they sort of defer the plan to the Roman government. And so we start to see their heart even. So their plot is to get rid of Jesus. And of course, this will play out in Holy Week and in one sense on a human level, succeed in Jesus going to the cross although we know that God was sovereign over that. They have their problem. They fear the people. So what's their plan? Uh, What are these wise leaders going to do? Well, their plan is about as bad as it sounds. Uh, They say, okay, people are hanging on his every word. Uh, We've gone toe-to-toe with him multiple times, and he silences us every time. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up to him and trip him up in his words. That's how we're going to get him. (laughs) And you can imagine one of them raising their hand and saying, hmm, can we try like a different plan? No, 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 no. No, this will be good. This will be good. And so they make the plan, and the irony starts to drip off the page uh, worse than if you left your Bible out in your sprinkler system because they look at the words that Luke uses. Uh, they, verse 20, they, they watch him. They send spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said. Their heart is being laid bare. Uh, They're not doing things in the daylight, but in the night. That word pretended is is the Greek word that we get the English word hypocrite. 
They're literally saying, let's be hypocrites and go and try to trap Jesus in what he would say. And so they pretend to be sincere. Look at the method then as it plays out, verse 21. They go up to Jesus and, and they say to him, teacher. Now, again, you, you have your irony glasses on. They don't really think of him as a teacher, right? But teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly, and you show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Now, everything they just said is true, right? Jesus is the teacher. He does teach rightly. He truly teaches the word of God, but they don't believe any of that. Remember, they're being hypocrites. They are pretending. They're putting on a face but they are condemning themselves at the very same time. I, what I love is that they think Jesus won't see what's happening. Uh, it's, it's like the scene in the movies where a group of characters comes up and they're trying to get through the gates and the guard you know, pushes them away. And then they come back with you know, a mustache paste on and thick-rimmed glasses and a British accent. Um, and the guard just looks at them and does the same thing, ushers them away. How would Jesus not know... <laughs> I, I would love if they even like changed their outfits. I don't know, but uh, he sees right through it, of course. Uh, but they condemn themselves with their, with their own words because they say, Jesus, you show no partiality. You show no partiality. Literally in Greek, you do not receive a face. Uh, what did we just find out about these leaders? They fear the people. They're showing partiality. They are worried about what the people will do or think based on their actions their words about Jesus are true. Jesus isn't like that. And yet they're showing their own heart even as they try uh, to condemn him and try to trap him in his own words. Uh, but let's see the trap itself then. What's the trap? Verse 22. Uh, it sort of gets all comes to this. Uh, they've cooked up this plan. This is going to get Jesus. Verse 22. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? And give tribute here really means to give, to pay. I mean, he's talking about taxes, um, to get down to brass tax. That's what he's talking about, although we'll see it goes beyond that. And they're asking, okay, Jesus, is it lawful or not? Either or option. And in one sense, first, this isn't a false dichotomy on the surface. Right? Either it's lawful, it's okay for a Jew to pay the poll tax to Rome, uh, or it's not lawful. There, there's not really a middle option there. Uh, so on the surface level, it's not a false dichotomy. And yet, when we think about Jesus' potential answers and their role in trying to trap him in his words, we start to see the false dichotomy that lays under what they're saying. One author summarizes the trap really well this way. The question involves whether one should pay taxes to Caesar. If Jesus said no, they could report to the governor that he was teaching sedition, and Rome would immediately act and arrest him. If, on the other hand, he said yes, then he would lose the favor of the people, for they loathed paying this poll tax to their pagan oppressors. Either Jesus gives a simple yes or no, and he loses favor with the people, which the leaders would be okay with, or, like their main plan, he provides ammunition for his arrest by Rome. In their mind, it's a win-win for them, and Jesus can't escape the trap. They would be happy with either income. In fact, later in the Gospel of Luke, it's interesting, as they're speaking to Pilate, the governor, 
they go from sort of twisting the truth to just outright lying. Uh, They say in Luke 23, 1 and 2, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, the second part's true, Christ the king, uh, but certainly he was not teaching not to give tribute to Caesar. But here they are trying to trap Jesus, trying to get him to pick a side, and you could see the false dichotomy that lies under it. Jesus, do you love the Jewish people or do you love the Roman occupiers? Which one? Pick one and see what happens. Do you love God or do you love Rome? Uh, But Jesus doesn't play their game. Uh, Jesus springs their trap by giving this answer. Look at verse 23. Jesus perceived their craftiness. And he said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. Jesus, as he's apt to do, uses a physical, tangible illustration. They, they bring him a denarius. This would have been about a month's wages for a typical laborer. And uh, he asks them a simple question. Whose inscription is on it? Whose image is on it? And they give the obvious answer, uh, Caesar's. Similar to our coinage, you know, we have different leaders and, and people on our coins. Unlike ours, they would have the current uh, emperor, typically, unless it was an older coin. Uh, theirs would have been uh, Tiberius. The inscription on the back would have read, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Uh, you could see the claim of deity in the Roman emperor there. And so they answer, okay, the image is that of Caesar's. And so Jesus gives us this teaching, verse 25. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Render, give, pay to Caesar those things which belong to him, but render, pay, give to God those things which belong to God. Can you see how Jesus springs their trap? He does give a yes or no answer. He's, he is saying, yes, I, I believe it's lawful, biblical to pay taxes. But he doesn't just give a simple yes or no. He cuts to the heart of the matter uh, with all of Scripture in mind and calls them to a life that sees the governing authorities as rightly placed above them and get never in an ultimate place, never the divine Caesar, uh, never the one who would usurp Christ as king. In so doing, he silences his opponents and really, this week and next week, both of them end. If you look at verse uh, 26, and if you glance down at verse 39 and 40, uh, Luke gives us two passages where people come up and try to trip up Jesus, and then he silences them. No one can outwit Jesus in his wisdom as the one greater than Solomon. And from here on out after these passages, it's, it's heading toward the cross. And here he silences them, and he challenges us Christian, you might need to hear point one of this sermon this morning. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Don't let your experience allow you to do away with certain passages. Jesus says, rightly, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. What does this mean? Uh, what thing, we have to ask, well, what things rightly then belong to Caesar? Or put it another way, What does the Bible say that I owe to the governing authorities? Because we're talking about payment uh, to those uh, through which it's owed. Uh, Romans 13, 7, and I've listed these passages for you. These are some of the key passages. We'll certainly teach on this more one day, Lord willing, if if God gives us breath. But Romans 13, 7, certainly the whole chapter, uh, we need to meditate on Romans 13, the whole chapter. But 
Uh, here, verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Or First Timothy 2 First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for who all or who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Titus 3, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. Or 1 Peter 2, which we've seen recently. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Christian, Jesus calls you to render to Caesar that which is Caesar. Putting some of these texts together, that means that you owe to Caesar Taxes, that's the fun part. That's why you have the tattoo. Uh, But at the very least, we need to see that in this text. Don't avoid paying your taxes. (laughs) It doesn't mean we're not wise and and discerning and and, and use all financial wisdom. to. We don't just unquestioningly sort of sign our name at the bottom. Uh, But certainly that means you owe Caesar taxes. But if you look at these passages, you owe respect. You owe honor. You owe prayers to be praying for your elected officials by name, a thanksgiving. Why does the Bible call us to do things that are hard? Supplications, which means praying on the behalf of the person, asking God's blessing on them, certainly praying for their conversion, certainly praying against power being used for evil against God's law, amen, but praying for them by name, them and their families. Praying, you owe them supplication, you owe them good conduct. Uh, You owe them truth. We need to speak the truth, not just what they want to hear, obviously. Uh, You owe them well speaking, not simply trashing our opponents on social media or with one another, attacking the uh, the person and joining in sort of relentless mockery as if that's the Christian calling. That's going to open up doors for the gospel, surely, right? Uh, Because he gives that impossible command, a perfect courtesy toward all. Uh, We need the Spirit's help. You owe gentleness, you owe grace, you owe humility. And notice the connection that these New Testament authors make between these and how the gospel gets before people. Uh, We want to remove every uh, stumbling block except Christ himself, who's the cornerstone, the stumbling block for those who reject him. And so our our good conduct, our prayers, how we talk, all of this. Christian, render to Caesar that which is Caesar, but Christian, don't render to Caesar that which does not belong to Caesar. If you look throughout the rest of Scripture, I mean, Daniel 3 in the Old Testament is a wonderful example. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be thrown in a fiery furnace because they won't bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. Hear their words, and these are our words. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Or later in the book of Daniel, a decree goes out that people are not allowed to pray except to the emperor. Daniel hears the command and says, Whew, I need to pray. <laughs> and he goes and prays. He goes outside and prays, and he's arrested for it and thrown in the lion's den. Or in the New Testament, Peter and the apostles say, We must obey God rather than men. That means that you do not owe Caesar your worship. In the early church, this was, this was the dynamic. Christians were being put to death. They were being called upon to bow down to this divine emperor. And, and their, their, their apologia, their defense was, look, we're your best citizens. We pray for the emperor, but we will never bow down to the emperor. And so they went to the stake. They went to the animals. They lost their life, submitting in one sense, praying for the emperor, paying their taxes, all of it, but being willing to die because they would never bow down. You do not owe Caesar your heart, your mind, your children, your unquestioning obedience. The government may have a legitimate claim on some portion of your money, but your heart, soul, mind, and strength is God's alone. And so number two, we render to Caesar, but number two, we surrender to God. Render to Caesar, surrender to God, and we see that uh, these aren't sort of co-equal things. You know, half goes to Caesar and half goes to God. Uh, no, surrender. Uh, you see the genius of, of Jesus' answer here. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar. R- render to God that which is God's. Jesus isn't arguing another logical fallacy, which is the golden mean fallacy. The golden mean fallacy says that there's never an either-or option. There's always a middle option. Uh, So the golden mean fallacy always wants to find a middle option. Jesus isn't afraid of true dichotomies. Remember in Luke chapter 20, verse 4, he just said to the opponents, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? That was Jesus offering a true dichotomy. Was John's ministry, opponents, and therefore my ministry, from heaven? If so, why aren't you following me? If it's not, if it's from man, why aren't you doing your job and and publicly denouncing me. It's a true either-or. And the gospel itself is a true dichotomy. In the gospel, as being preached to you right now, we say that Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who outsmarted these opponents, by the end of this book, by the end of that week, went to the cross, died for his people, paid the penalty that only he could pay, the penalty which was eternal death he he took upon himself, And there is an either-or. You either bow down to this king. You either say that this is my Lord, my king, my teacher, my prophet, my Messiah. Or you find yourself in the same place as these opponents who are at odds with him, who are resisting his rule, and therefore resisting the life that he offers. Jesus then, in one sense, is offering a true dichotomy and a true call upon your life, Christian. Christians certainly render the things that are Caesar. Certainly there's, there's so many biblical teachings that many people have a claim on portions of our time or life. Only God, only to God belongs an absolute surrender, surrendering up of your entire self to him. Jesus explains elsewhere what this means. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Christian, that means that you owe to God your heart, your dreams, your desires, your goals, your love, your worship. You owe God your soul, your very self, your being, your life, your sustenance. You owe him your strength, your body, your breath, your sweat, your effort. You owe him your money, your time, your career, your calling, your children, your worldview, yourself, all of it. Jesus has them hold up a denarius and say, whose image is on this? And they say, Caesar's. And he says, okay, render to Caesar. There's some obligation you have here. What do we read in Genesis 1? If Jesus held you up and said, whose image is on this person? What would be the answer? God. You were made in God's image. Just like that coin images Caesar in in a very small way, every human being images God. His image is imprinted. His name is upon us. Our purpose is to glorify him. Render to Caesar certainly what's his, but render to God your very self because you were made in his image. You belong, body and soul, to him. There is not a square inch in all of creation of which Jesus does not say mine. And there's not a square millimeter of any Christian of which he does not say mine. He says, I will be your God. You will be my people, all of you, and every part of you, from start to finish, for all eternity, for my glory and for your joy. We are called to absolute surrender to this God. One night, a musician gave just an incredible performance. Uh, The way they played was spectacular. Uh, The person who came and and, and witnessed this was just just blown away. And they went up to the musician afterward, and they said, Man, to do what you do, I would give anything to do what you do. How, how How did you do it? And the musician said, That's what I did. I, I gave up everything, everything else. Christian, we are called to give up everything for his glory. Not to render him 20%. No, your whole self, your whole life, your whole heart. That's where you'll find life. And so certainly render to Caesar what's his, but give yourself to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it cuts to the heart, it convicts us, it changes our worldview as we come to it. It shapes us in the image of Christ, but we thank you that it's also a healing salve that it reminds us to whom we belong, body and soul. And so I pray that each of us would walk away this morning throwing ourselves at your feet, surrendering this day, this week, our very lives to you. I pray this, that this would happen by your spirit, and I pray this in the name of your son. Amen.